Welcome to The Bear and the Bull. I am your host, Nick Webster, and today I'm delighted to welcome back a very old friend of the show, the founder of AST, Advanced Sports Technology, Jim Madrid. Jim has been an incredible mentor, motivator, and a source of inspiration for literally thousands of athletes over the last, oh God, I'm, I'm not going to say how many years, but let's just say decades. Uh, firstly, well, many times with the Seattle Sounders and taking that team into the the realm of a MLS super club and most lately with uh, some uh, high school athletes down in the south of Orange County. Jim Madrid, welcome to the Bear and the Ball. Well, thanks, Nick. And wow, that's uh, decades. Huh? That makes me seem even older, right? You, you could have said centuries. That might have helped too. I mean, you know, but anyways, hey, Nick, thanks for having me. It's always well, to be fair to the listeners, you know, we, we get to see each other on video and you are looking younger and more vibrant than ever. What is the secret to this Alexa that you are obviously drinking every morning? It's, it's just called optimism, okay? And my father um, was the ultimate optimist, right? And, um, you know, I've kind of turned it into being what I call a realistic optimist. You have a choice every day. You can either be a realistic optimist, which means expect the best, but be prepared for the worst. Or you could be a realistic pessimist, who expects the worst and is surprised by when something good happens. Um, and they're the ones that say, uh, come on, let's be realistic with that tone of voice and their body language. Let's get realistic. Come on, let's be real about this. And I'd rather be that realistic optimist. Well, automatically, you, you've, you, you've just said something that makes me want to take this interview in a completely different direction. So I'm going to go with my instincts. Go. You just mentioned your dad. Right. And we've never spoken about your dad. And and knowing you, I, I have to feel that this man must have been an incredible impact on your life. Can you tell me a little bit about him? Sure. My father was incredible. Um, having the last name Madrid, he was my soccer coach. I think I had a, a soccer ball, uh, you know, put in my crib the day I was born. And, you know, back then, everything he could do to follow Real Madrid uh, we got and you know back in the day you know decades ago Nick um, so um, he was incredible I remember Nick and I you know it's funny is if I do remember I was like five years old my father was a truck driver we there were seven five kids in the family seven of us in a three-bedroom home one bath house my mother sold shoes at Nordstrom's and we were born and raised in Seattle and you know, I'm, we didn't go out very much to dinner, not at all, as a matter of fact. Um, so we were on that, you know, on the poor side, living in the hood in Seattle. And um, I remember one Saturday morning, beautiful day in Seattle. And he's got me up early and said, he's taking me out to breakfast. How cool was that? Right. How special. Right. So I'm in the front seat. You remember the arm was your seatbelt. His arm was your seatbelt. Tucked behind his shoulder is where he sat. And so he gets me and we come down the street, and we come to a stop sign and there's this gentleman, you know, it's the lights red on our side. And here comes this gentleman from left to right. And my dad's window is rolled down and this guy's walking across the street in front of us. And just before he gets in front of us, my dad yells out, good morning. And the guy stopped in his tracks and smiled at my dad and said, good morning. 
And then my dad said, have a great day. He goes, well, thank you. You too. And I said, dad, who was that? He goes, I don't know. But did you see him smile? And I said, well, yeah. So, well, that's why God put us on this earth, put us to put a smile on people's face and a glow in their heart. And, you know, that never left me. I remember later on, years uh, later, when he would always tell me, expect the best, but be prepared for the worst. And then when the whole, you know, half glass, half empty, half full thing, uh, later on, <laughs> he saw that commercial and he went off. He was so if I only want to sip, does that make me a, a, a negative person that I only see the negative? If I only want, he goes, I'm just damn happy somebody invented a glass. I can store things in it. I can turn it upside down. I can put circle. I can make circles. I can use it for all kinds of different things. So what does that make me if it's only one? I go, dad, chill out. Then he was 87 years old, lived down here by me in San Juan Capistrano. And he, um, gives me a call, leaves me a voicemail message and says, son, I'm okay. I've been in a car accident. So I call him up and I go, what happened? And he goes, this is how he explained what happened, Nick. He said, I met the nicest people today. He didn't blame the person that slammed on his brakes. And how did I know? He didn't blame anything. He just said, I met the nicest people today. The cop that gave him a ticket, the guard that he ran into, the tow truck that totaled his car, they were so nice. He never told me once how he rear-ended. I wasn't paying attention or anything. He just met the nicest people. Um, Last night, we had an old friend over, an old mentor of mine. He's 93 years old. And we got to talking about this subject last night. And he said, well, then there was the story of uh, a military prison. And the two guys are in the cell together. One guy says, what what are you in for? He said, well, I want AWOL. He goes, oh, how long are you in for? He goes, I'm going to be in for a year. He said, why are you in here? He said, well, I killed the general. He said, you killed the general? He goes, yeah. He goes, well, how long are you in here for? He goes, a week. He goes, a week? I I went AWOL. And and I got a year and you killed a general and you got a week? He goes, yeah, they're hanging me on Monday. So he's out of there. You know, he's out of there on Monday. He's he's free, you know. So I I just think that, you know, through that, my father taught me about, you know, anything's possible. And with the right determination and grit and all that, you know, you can make it happen. And and uh and I look at where I've been and and where I'm at and where I'm going. And and uh you know, I just I guess my message to people is that hell if I could do it and come out of that you know, that, you know, that, that neighborhood that said that nothing good and the rest of Seattle was nothing good ever comes out of white center, rat city. Um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, just that whole attitude that that's there, that mindset. And it was hard to break. You're talking about comfort zones. I remember the first time I ever flew first class, like I didn't belong there. I wasn't worthy of that. And I see that in a lot of people, especially when it comes to confidence. You know, I ask the question sometimes, what thoughts or beliefs do you now have that might be holding you back from achieving unprecedented record-breaking performance? And some people say fear. And I have to ask, fear of failure or fear of success? Because that's not like them. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting uh, way, way of looking at things. And I mean, I, I 
you know, full vulnerability here. I, I've suffered from imposter syndrome pretty much my, my entire life. And it's, it's so interesting for you to, to mention that trip and the first time you're on, a, on an airplane, first class, and do I belong here? And I, in fact, my, my uh, this, this uh, compare story. So I have, I have a great story. It's a soccer related story and it comes from your neck of the woods. I'm sure you're aware of the Kitsap Pumas. Oh, yes. 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 Okay, so let's go back to 2012. It's the first round of the U.S. Open Cup. And I am the first team coach for Cal FC. Eric Winolda, very famous player with the right. U.S. men's national team, is the, is the manager. And we've taken Cal FC from uh, basically the Oxnard League. And we've gone through all the journey to get to the first round of the U.S. Open Cup proper. Eric is, meanwhile, working for Fox. Nick, I can't be there. I have to do the Champions League final. You're going to have to go up to Kitsap with the team and coach the team. And I'm an experienced coach, but I've not coached at that level. level you know, yeah. I've coached youth, I've coached collegiately, but now we're talking, you know, the US Open Cup, which to me is a, cool. is a fantastic tournament, and, and especially for you with the Sounders who just win it seemingly every year. And I remember that the, the players walking out and I'm in the technical area. They play the national anthems and we're kicking off. And I'm thinking to myself, Nick, everybody knows you're a fraud. <laughs> you know, everybody knows that you don't know what you're doing. And it was just, oh, my God, it was such an overwhelming yes. feeling. Yes. And, and I had to, you know, in that moment – Get to the theme of what we're going to talk today. Vision drives performance. Yep. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, Eric has entrusted me with this team. I know each one of these players very well. I know their strengths. I know their weaknesses. I know that in my mind, I've seen the final result. We've won and I'm walking across and I'm shaking the other coach's hand. And in that moment, I had to go there. And guess what happened? Of course, we win. I put on a masterful tactical display. Of course. And of course. my vision drove the performance of that particular day. So let's let's talk about well, wait a minute. Let, me, let, me, let me finish yeah. let me finish your story, okay? Because I had the opportunity that years ago with West Coast soccer, and the coach couldn't make it to a tournament. He goes, Madrid, take the take the team, but I gotta tell you. Ours was a U15 team, and I'm putting you in the U16 tournament. And we won the tournament. And I said, I just text the coach. The parents were there. We're getting our awards. And I said, I just text Coach Carlos. And they went, Coach who? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, to, to, to put the bow on that story, uh, the team ended up going to the fourth round. And who walloped us in the fourth round? There we go, baby. Seattle Sounders, yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry about yeah. that. Team. That's my team. That works. Yeah, your team. Your team walloped us. Yeah. But uh, at Starfire. At Starfire, yep. Yeah. Great place. But yes, let's, let, let's talk uh, about vision driving performance because I think any coach knows that consistent performance, um, the efficiency of the team, the growth of the team – these are all things that help drive the vision, but how do we get to that point where we feel comfortable enough that our vision is the right vision and that our teams, and let's, you know, we can, we can apply this to anything beyond Absolutely. soccer. Our teams yeah. are on board with this vision so we can all get to this promised land, which is 
high performance. So, so let's set the audience up for and what what you and I discussed here first, and that was that we wanted to kind of go over the different um, the the seven fundamentals. Okay, so you know the first fundamental is um, you know vision drives performance, and so you know we we look at that and go. Um, the way I approached it was this setting up the curriculum of the seven fundamentals was taken off of our, uh, our, our signature uh, program called the 10 principles of mental fitness. And so I scaled it down to that 13 up, you know, uh, age group, age group. And so vision, I always think about the story of Alice in Wonderland. Um, she comes to the fork in the road and she said, uh, asked the Cheshire cat, what, what road do I take? When she came to the fork in the road and the cat said, well, where are you going? And she said, well, I don't know. And therefore he said, well, it really doesn't matter what road you take, then does it? Now, if you come out of the pandemic, one of the biggest things that, you know, the, the professional psychiatrists and sports psych people are talking about is, it threw, threw us all for a loop, not only us as adults, but of course our children, because it was, you know, historic. Um, it was unprecedented. Uh, we'd never been done before. We'd never seen anything to this. And it brought us to this eerie place, this surreal place in our world, not just here in the United States, but in the world. And you saw the pictures. And when you see the pictures of Times Square with nobody in it, not a soul on the street. It's like it was right out of a sci-fi movie. And so what does anxiety come from? And that's fear and the fear of the unknown. And if you don't know where you're going, that's where this anxiety, we lose confidence, uh, depression sets in, isolationism. And so, you know, I look at that our Kids, all of us are psychologically needed, uh, needy these days, you know. And so what are we doing to help them in that? And so when we now more than ever, the seven fundamentals, especially vision drives performance. I had this discussion uh, a couple of days ago about burnout. You know, you get burned out being a coach, you get burned out being in that job, in that position or whatever, even in relationships. And what causes burnout? I think. You know, if you go back and you think about when you first became a coach, Nick, right? And you're going to turn the world upside down. You're going to, you're going to teach these kids and you're going to do all that. And that enthusiasm that you had for it, right? Because you have this long-term vision of what you wanted to accomplish and what you were going to, you know, uh, to achieve. And that over time, that vision's faded. And the way I look at it is... Um, I always, you know, and when you research, what's the number one reason why people don't achieve their goals? And the number one is, is that if there's not enough purpose, there's not enough significance, there's not enough importance, there's not enough value to it. And if we can tag that value, that purpose to your vision, I always kind of say, it's when I met Darcy, okay? I declared a new significance in my life. <laughs> I wanted this woman, man. She was, that was it. That was my, and so, um, you know, and then things start to happen when you have that kind of a vision. 
And what happened was, is that I'm going through a bookstore and this was in Seattle. I'm in a bookstore, Barnes and Noble. And as I'm walking to go get a business book to the back where the business section was, you know, they got the tables with different kind of holiday books and all that kind of stuff. And I go walking by and this one book jumped off the shelf, uh, off the table to me. It was called A Thousand and One Ways to Be Romantic. I bought that book. By the way, it worked. 30 years later, it still worked. So you know what I mean? And so that kind of stuff, and that's what we teach in the curriculum, is how your mind works. Um, You know, you've got, uh, you you know, you you could tell them how, you know, why vision works. Now you got to, I mean, you've got to have a vision. You got to have goals. We've all been taught that. Go ahead. Okay, so let me let me stop you there though, uh, and because you bring up a very very good point. Our kids today, I think, struggle with identifying what their vision is. How can we, as teachers and facilitators, help them along that path? Because, and I and I think this is an incredible challenge because your vision is your vision. Right. You can't. You cannot give someone else what you think their vision should be. So if someone's struggling to to understand what their vision is, and I know that, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, such, such an important age to begin that I wish I could be. How do, how, do we, how do we help them in that journey, which I think is absolutely critical? Yeah, and, and that to me is... And, and, and I gave this talk in front of a group of coaches on last Saturday. And it's, well, we as coaches, what do we coach? We coach the, the technical, the behavior part, technical, tactical, physical. That's what we coach. And yet all of us have said to our players, you've got to believe in yourself, right? You, you've just got to believe in yourself. Well, the, the problem is, is have we taught them how to believe in themselves? You know, and, and you got to visualize. But have we taught them why visualization works and how to visualize? And that's where, you know, I looked at was where we were challenged. So if we can teach them, you know, um, how your brain works, how your mind works, you know, in a very practical way, not in a real technical or clinical way, um, then we can probably help them in determining what, you know, how to set a vision and a strong vision and why and how it works. What's going on in the five inches between your ears? And if we can do that and, and it, you know, that's why, you know, a lot of coaches look at us and go, wow, it's a seven hour course. Yeah, it's divided up that hour and a half here, two hours there, whatever, how aggressive you want to be. But we've got to give them the education, not the motivation. We've got to give them the education in a very practical way so they can understand how their mind works. And if they can do that and understand it in a very practical, easy to understand, then it's easy to apply. What you said at the beginning of the show, what we did with uh, the high school down here, both high schools, uh, the J. Sarah boys um, soccer team being number one in the being number one in the country. Look, we did not set a goal to win all that. We didn't set a goal to win Trinity League. That's a given. We didn't set a goal to win CIF. That's a given. We didn't set a goal to win state. That's a given. And we ended up number one in the country. But what we did, though, 
was we set goals in the areas of technical, tactical, physical, mental, and teamwork. And we set goals that we were going to crush this season to get us to the championship. And by the way, we measured each one of those pillars along the way. And then we re-upped them and restructured them all through the season. And then when we got to the championship, we reset those goals to win the championship. And, and I got to tell you, Nick, these boys, and it wasn't us coaches doing it. It was the team, the boys, the captains. So after every match during the season, we put up that board with all the uh, technical you know, the list of all the technical things, all the tactical, and the captains got in front of the in, in front of the whiteboard and said, okay, it was a 10, 15 minute meeting. How do we do rate technical in our last match? Win or lose, how did we rate uh, technical? One to five. One, we need to improve. Five, we crushed it. And then somebody would say, one of the team members would say, oh, a four. Why did you give it a four? And the boys did this. It wasn't the coaches. I believe that, you know, our job as coaches is to set that vision, okay, and introduce that vision to the team and then let the team and the players as individuals see how their contribution to that vision, the team vision, is connected to their own vision as a player. And in doing so, then they see the value in it themselves. But again, you said it earlier. If I set the goal that these are the areas that we're going to really going to crush in technical, then it becomes the coach's goal. It doesn't become, they don't take ownership. And, you know, the number one thing that inspires people at work and the same thing on a team is being part of something bigger than themselves. And how can I contribute to that, that being part of that team and helping it grow? And if you can do that, that's culture, too. And you and I have talked about that many, many times. That team culture starts at the very beginning. Don't bring us in in the middle of the season, right, uh, Nick, and say, hey, can you do one on uh, conflict resolution, you know, because my, my coach is talking to my parents. It's like, dude, you should have brought us in at the beginning of the season to help create that culture and bring in the parents into it. And guess what happens? You don't have – you've got great communication. So I mentioned, does that answer the question? Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. You 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 met you mentioned culture, but you you also talk about creating environment. Right. The environment that we create as coaches, we have an idea of what we think can work. We then go into that, we, we then go into that environment, and perhaps it's not the chemistry isn't there with the players. And, right. and you just mentioned the fact that the players then created that environment as a coach. And now we're asking, we're asking our coaches to be a little bit vulnerable by seeding some, I, I hate using the word control, but some form of control slash influence to the team. And now we're talking about something else. Now we're talking about trust. So describe to me, environment and trust okay well there's there's a lot i could talk about on that. i know <laughs> so, so i think trust i remember on my on my corporate side of my business you know 30 years ago the book came out 
re-engineering the corporation, okay? And re-engineering, there's your E word, okay? And the author of that book, can't remember the name of the author, but about a year after the book came out, he said, yeah, I forgot one thing, the human element. Then the next E word that came out was employee empowerment, okay? Then you had managers, and this is getting to your point. Then you had managers, not leaders, that said, you want me to empower them? You want them to make the decisions? Are you kidding me? Okay, if you tell me to do it, watch what happens. And sure enough, go ahead, you guys do it. And they screwed up. See, I told you that would happen. No leadership whatsoever. None whatsoever, right? No parameters, no nothing. Okay, you said for me to do it. Well, then I did it. Yeah, I told you it would screw up. And look at the, look at they did. It's all about me. It's an egotistic manager, right? And then the next one was employee engagement. There's another E word, right? And so I looked at all that and I, I just went, okay, let's go back to the leader. And a, a, a true leader is one that, um, like Ziggy was with me, and you knew Ziggy, Ziggy Schmidt. And, you know, Coach George Kuntz uh, from Cal State Fullerton was with me. And we went up to, uh, Seattle was down here playing LA Galaxy. I took George with me, got to go into the game, locker room and all that. And then after the game, we went over to the hotel and George and I and Ziggy are sitting down and George and Ziggy says to me, okay, uh, Jim, how'd I do? The great Ziggy Schmidt asking me, so let's go back to comfort zones and worthiness. My self-talk was, holy shit, did he just ask me, Jim Madrid, this kid out of Rat City? Ziggy Schmidt just asked me how he did. He wants me to tell him how he did. Are you kidding me? Um, that self-talk went real fast, by the way, and I was over it real fast. But I was like, George, on the way home, he goes, are you kidding me? Ziggy Schmidt just asked you that. Ziggy Schmidt was a leader. He wasn't a coach. He was a fantastic leader because he let somebody into his team and he trusted me and my background to be in that class and hold class with his players, whether it be with the team or one-on-one. In fact, Adrian Hanauer, the owner of the club, in my first session I ever did with them was a week before we were playing LA Galaxy at home. And we hadn't beat LA Galaxy a home or away in like two years. Ziggy's thing said they got our number. So the first session I did with them was a three-hour session And Adrian and Ziggy and uh, Brian Schmetzer, they all asked, is it okay if we sit in? And I said, yeah, then there's going to be a part where I'm going to excuse you guys. They had trust. By them showing me trust, it told the team and the players that there is trust in the organization. There's trust in the team. And it starts with the leader, not a manager, not a coach. It starts with the leader. And if that leader has is suffering from uh, low self-esteem or insecurities, they will not let people like you and I into their team, Nick. Um, I've got companies and organ and teams and organizations that, um, you know, Nick, let's say you you're working for a club and you and I know each other really well. And you go to the DOC and say, Hey, we need to bring this AST company in here. And you bring me in or one of our coaches in, right. To sit with that DOC and they give you lip service. Because they like you, 
All right, I'll meet with them. Yeah, we're already doing that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, we're kind of doing that already. We're kind of doing that. Yeah, yeah. So a sick culture will not allow people like you and I to come in and work with the team because we might expose the coach or the manager. And they don't want to be exposed. But a good culture, like the Seattle Sounders, from the very top, from from Adrian Hanauer to Ziggy, uh, you know, Chris Henderson, uh, they they allowed us in. And they opened up the door. Um, and other coaches, George Koontz is that way. And the list can go on and on between the two of us of those kind of cultures. And look what they're able to do with their team. Those that will not, oh, nobody's coming in to talk to my players. No way. Um, you know, when I gave that talk last week to about 150 coaches from this club, I can see about hmm, probably about a third of them going, this is pretty cool. This is great. I want to know more. And the other two thirds are like, I don't, I don't need. And I, I would say they're, they're the hurry up and wait. Let's just kind of see what goes on. Let me, let me see what goes on. And then they start coming around slowly, but surely it's always that way. It's a slow start, but when they start seeing the results of teams that are going through it, boom, they get on it. So trust is a big thing. And if you don't have trust in your culture uh, from the very top, Speed of the leader, speed of the team. If you don't have that at the very beginning, you're not going to get a good culture. So our, our last question in this particular episode of Bear on the Ball, because we're going to just continue this for the next few months, Jim, yep. is how do you start to build trust, which is the foundation of everything? Ask questions. Ask questions. And watch yourself talk. So if I said to you, let's just take a look at it. So I go, okay. Um, you know, the way that we do it is that we engage the players instead of lecturing or telling or coaching them, which is our job, get it, but let's start listening to them. You know, um, you and I have been on the fields long enough to watch what goes on, right? Um, and, and watch the, the body language and the facial expression from the players coming off the field right during halftime and you watch what players go when the coach says, come on, come over here, come over here. And which players are shaking their heads. And even while the coach is talking, they're not paying attention and all that kind of stuff. Right. He hasn't gained trust. Um, They come in. uh, We had an experience this last year with another high school where the coach came in and a brand new coach came in and start throwing his weight around. Um, didn't sit down on one-on-ones with the, with the players, didn't ask them questions, came in with his own agenda, which I gr- granted we need, but he, you know, it's the old push, push back. He pushed and the harder he pushed, the harder those kids pushed back. Um, he didn't last a whole season. Um, he had a mutiny and, um, you know, he was overconfident and these kids needed to be, you know, they needed his discipline. But he approached it the wrong way. He never grabbed their trust. And then uh, it just went, it, it was the, the the poor seniors on that team too. I just felt sorry for them because that was their last year in high school and they had to go through something like this. But you said it, trust. And it starts by asking questions. And if you can't get around to asking your, and you don't believe that your, your players have the answers to what's going out there on the pitch, you're in the wrong business. 
I'm sorry. You're just flat ass in the wrong business. For more questions and information on Jim Madrid and the AST Academy, go to astacademy.com or you can visit the Cal South website where we have a nice webpage for the AST Academy. Also coming up on Cal South, we have some incredible camps that are going to be taking place in Ojai. Olympic Development Program in July, June, July. Uh, goalkeeping, finishing, you name it. These are just wonderful opportunities to really work on your game. Also, referee education. Juan Guzman is perhaps one of the finest referee educators in the country. All this and more on the Cal South website. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Nick Webster. You can follow Cal South on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. This has been the Bear and the Ball. That has been Jim Madrid. We'll be back very soon with more tales from the AST Academy. Thanks for listening.